Hello, and welcome to I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony. Don't worry, your other host, Sydney, will be along in a moment. So a couple of things before we start this episode. This is an unusual episode for a couple of reasons. First, it is our first book episode. We are covering Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. So under normal circumstances, this would proceed exactly like a normal episode would. Except for the other strange thing about this episode, which is that it doesn't really have an intro anymore. That doesn't mean we didn't record one. In fact, we did. But it was back during the early days of the podcast, which longtime listeners may recognize, had some audio issues that we were only mildly able to resolve. I was originally going to try to salvage what I could from our initial intro, which was one of the first pieces we ever recorded for this podcast at all. However, while I was preparing to do that, the computer that those files were saved on fell to its doom, and they became a lot more difficult to recover. While it is still technically possible to recover those files, if that's not a sign that some things are just better left in the past, I don't know what is. So I'm recording this intro while Sydney is out of town just so that you have some sort of idea going in of what our initial impressions of this book were. Both of us were a little concerned that this book was going to feel like homework, not least of which because I at least was assigned to read it in school and didn't do it. The one piece of information from our intro that you absolutely need to know is that I was assigned this book in high school as summer reading, didn't do it, and then was assigned an essay in class on this book, and I got a B. The other thing I wanted to make sure that I covered before we actually started talking about this book is I wanted to give an explicit content warning. Now, usually we have a content warning in our show notes. I wanted to make sure this one was done on air, though, because part of the inciting incident of this story is a pretty frank discussion of a sexual assault. So if that is something that you find difficult to listen to for whatever reason, I recommend either skipping this episode or skipping that particular part. I believe the discussion starts around the 13 to 15 minute mark and it lasts about five minutes. I'll make sure to put another explicit warning in the show notes about it just in case. We try not to dwell on it too much, but it is pretty impossible to talk about this book and I don't think it would be entirely fair to talk about this book without discussing that piece of it. So with all of that out of the way, we're going to jump into the future and then you will hear our analysis of I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. Hello, welcome to the future. Hello. So it's it's been longer than you would think. Yeah, I. It's my fault. I well, I, I didn't. Um, it's both I didn't, of, I didn't read it. It's both of our faults. You did read it eventually. Yeah, I've read it now. So I think we've talked on the podcast before. At least I've mentioned how I spent most of October and November on various kinds of painkillers because of the gum surgeries I was on. Yes. And while I was on those painkillers, I sat in bed and read all of this book. Okay. And then I think because I was on the painkillers, did not communicate to you that that was the project yeah, I was undertaking. Yeah, we recorded the before and I just like put the book in my stack of books and I was like, that looks like a short book. When I see Anthony holding this book, I'll pick it up too. Mm-hmm. Or like when I hear him say, <laughs> when I feel like it's time. I'm sure I can scramble to catch up. And then what happened was <laughs> in early January, we recorded the before time in October. I think it was like right before my gum surgeries. And in early January, you were like, 
hey, are we still reading I Know Why the Cage Bird yeah, Sings? And I was like, oh, yeah, now? I finished that book two months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, Whoops. Now I read it. Yeah. It was a quick read. I have like a weird thing that's probably going to be a hindrance for this where I like I read five books at a time, not because my brain can handle that, but because I have this thing where I feel like my brain can't handle more than a certain amount of any given book. I feel like I'm not like honoring it, like doing it justice Mm -hmm. if I don't like sit with and like because... Well, we're about to get into it. But the format of this book, it's like these little things that are like super nutritious. It's yeah. like all like little, little bits. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and most of them are like pretty juicy. So it's like even though the book was short, I would be like, oh, I think I think I need to sit with that until tomorrow. Yeah. And like I'll read one of my other books. Yeah. Even though I burned through this book, there were definitely a couple of times where I was like, that's enough for tonight. I think <laughs> I, I need to sit with what just happened. Yeah. So with that, should we say on the count of an imaginary four? Yeah. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. I really, really liked it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a great book. Yeah. This is new. We don't do books. What do we say about? We so say general about conceit of the book. I was thinking about this the other day and- I think this book belongs to a genre of book that I don't know if it was very popular at the time, but I feel like it exists now of a genre of memoir writing that could be called My Life Has Been A Lot and I Am An Inherently Interesting Person. Sure, yeah. And I think that that is kind of the vibe of this book. Yeah, it's like I don't read a lot of autobiography or personal essay, but I feel like when I do, it's like more personal essay style. And this was very like, here's what it was like for me when I was seven. Yeah. And I do feel like I'm really, I'm just going to say this off the bat. I'm really glad that I read this now and not when I was 16. Because sure. I really do think I would have reacted poorly to this book when I was 16. Partially. I, I would have really liked it. Partially internalized racism. I have talked about how the town that I grew up in, like if this was taught to me in high school, it would have been taught to a 97% white class yeah. by a white teacher okay. in the midst of like, a lily white curriculum. This, I think this book happened the same year that I read The Great Gatsby and Huckleberry Finn and like- It would have felt 16 year old you would have smelled like affirmative action on it. Yeah, it would have felt like put upon me instead of like coming to it organically. And I think that's what I a lot of see people- that. I mean, I think, I mean, that's a problem with, I also went to a very white high school and like, it's like my high school, unlike yours, it sounds like made a great effort to expose us to- a lot of different things and I think that was really valuable but there were also times and it was like completely just whether I liked it or not if what I was given was something that I enjoyed then I was like that was great and if I didn't like it then my little teenage white brain surrounded by other white people was like not to make excuses right (laughs) but that's I think how it grows would be like oh well we only did this because Mm -hmm. and that's like it's just a really unfortunate, it takes a lot of things out of the knees, I feel, that yeah, I agree. could be really valuable. And I think on top of that, it has this compounding effect of like teachers who don't really understand why they're teaching the book have to teach the book. Yeah. And then they don't have any connection to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another great thing about my high school, this is the most nice things I've said about my high school in a row ever. This is true. But Can uh, confirm. <laughs> but all of my teachers were allowed to do whatever they wanted. That's really nice. So everything that I was taught 
was except for maybe like the odyssey i feel like freshman year there were a couple things that were like mm-hmm. you have to do this you have to do the odyssey first and then you can expand on it however you want mm-hmm. like almost everything that was taught to me was like because the teacher wanted to be doing it and that just like really makes a big difference i think yeah this is a slight digression but i also did the odyssey freshman year of high school I, and yeah what a wild choice to make 14 year olds read <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, but that's that's neither here nor there so when I was taught this book, and as we discussed, I think in the before times, I wrote an essay on this book that I did not read and got a B, which oh, I yeah. feel like is <laughs> so long ago. just a masterstroke of bullshittery on my part. Yeah. But I remember still sitting in class and listening to the teacher and having this whole discussion about one of the themes in this book being Maya Angelou's struggle with her black identity. And it's like, I don't need to listen to this white teacher tell this white class about this black author's struggle with her black identity, all based on like the first scene. Yeah. And I guess we should say a little bit about what this book is. So this book tracks Maya Angelou's life. It is an autobiography from the age of about seven to- smaller. Her memory's crazy. I feel like, I feel like the stories start when she's like four. Yeah, so like child, child, yeah. young child, all the way up through. I, I want to say like nineteen twenty, like is, nineteen I'm so sorry or to tell the age you of nineteen. Because I just finished it. She is sixteen in the last chapter. She's sixteen. Yeah. Oh, okay. She is sixteen at the conception of her child. Oh, okay. Then yeah, because I think she but perhaps seventeen by its birth. Yeah, because it ends after she has a kid and graduates high school. Yeah, oh. and I think she was a year ahead because she's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, I really appreciate that Maya Angelou is like very comfortable with how smart she is yeah and like doesn't she does always was yeah and she does tell you but it's in a way that it's like by the time she starts telling you you're like yeah you are smart she doesn't say it that way she just is like she'll just say things like well everything they were telling me at the school was obvious to me (laughs) and it would be like well i knew i was smart but i didn't think i was pretty you know like it would always be in service of like some other thing she was trying to say or like i knew that i was i just don't know if she ever uses the word smart but like i knew that i could see things clearly that Mm -hmm. other people couldn't see Yeah, she has a lot of insight for someone so young. Yes, and insight on her insight. Yeah, and because of Maya Angelou's lifetime, the age of seven to the age of 17 for her is just a bananas time in American history. Like, it's the 30s in, it starts in Alabama. Stamps. Stamps, Arkansas. Arkansas. I was going to say Alabama. I knew that was wrong. Yeah. Starts in Stamps, Arkansas, which is just like a tiny country town during Jim Crow. Yeah. Sounds like the absolute worst. Yeah. It ends in San Francisco. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to say, because you said that thing about like working on her black identity. And at first I was like, I don't know. Is it even about that? But like, I guess it is. It's not not in there. It There definitely is like that first scene she talks about like white and black dolls. Especially after the very beginning. I think it's mostly about her black identity amongst black people. Yes. And not a black identity as compared to white people. Yeah. And whenever that would come up, it would be in the context of like, here's a white person who doesn't understand my black identity. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of the scene where she graduates. person that was an obstacle for me. Yeah, I'm thinking of when the superintendent of schools comes to her middle school graduation and gives the bullshit graduation speech. And she's sitting there, not just upset that he's being so patronizing, but also being like, oh, he has no idea what it's like to be me. Yeah. She just has this. And it doesn't, that will never affect his life. 
It doesn't concern him that he doesn't know, and it's never going to be visited upon him that he doesn't know. And I will have to know for him for the rest of my life, and I'm a fucking child. Right, exactly. And she was like, and that is unfair, but I can take it. Which which (laughs) I really, I love the vibe of this book, which is just like... I think I would have liked it. In high school, actually. I think I would have gone in skeptical for the same reasons that I vaguely remember being skeptical in the before of this, that I think I think of her as a poet and I'm just like wary of things that are like language for language sake. I think I would have thought that, but then I think I would have read it and been like, girl power, man. I probably would have been like a little like, I probably would have appropriated her experience a little. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just think I wasn't emotionally mature enough to really, I mean, I've talked a little bit about how I was a little turd in high school. (laughs) And and I think that this is just another This is just another example of that. I just don't think I would have had the emotional maturity to appreciate it. Self-awareness. There are also some white people that appear in the earlier chapters, and I like what she has to say about them. And like just being a a tiny black child and observing tiny white children and being like, the fuck are they doing? Yeah, she definitely has a lot of like- What's their deal though? Yeah, and she- (laughs) Why don't they know how to- behave yeah 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 why don't they know anything yeah it's really fascinating to see like the depth of understanding that she has from a young age and i'm i'm sure that there is something to be said there about that i'm not going to posit this hypothesis but i bet that one could say like black children have to grow up faster than white children because of the world that they live in particularly then but it's also like because being a child is so like inherently isolating mm-hmm. <laughs> because as a child you understand so little i mean i don't know i will never know i'm a white person it might just be her she had a pretty small world at that time and so it's like is this white kids compared to all black kids or is it white kids just compared to her mm-hmm. and like having that kind of like to us reversed like generalization of like, like her brain being like well that just must be how white people are yeah like that was a i don't know it was a fun little like paradigm shift yeah and she has great depth of insight but she is still a child and so i really like that the way she tells the story you can see like the things that she can pick up on and the things that she can't like she is still seven you know she's not writing she doesn't come across as being a tiny adult no she had that's like one of the things also that i really liked about it that i think high school me probably what I'd like to hope would have appreciated is that she like gives herself a lot of credit as a kid but I think she's like really honest in recounting and that's what I'm saying it's like it doesn't read like personal essays where there's like a lot of like criticism and like other layers of like thought puzzles on it Mm -hmm. like I think she's really frank about like this is how my kid brain experienced this Yes, exactly. And I like the vibe when she's talking to white kids as a seven-year-old where she's like, and she'll like see them come into the store and just be, her family owns a general store yeah. in Stamps. And she'll see them come into the general store and just like wreck the place. And she's like, I don't know much, <laughs> but I do yeah. know that you don't do that. Yeah. What I think is fascinating, thinking back to my conversations in high school about this book, is they skip over the like central event, uh, emotional event of the book, 
which is that she is sexually assaulted by her mother's boyfriend. Sure, yeah. And I don't yeah, think- Yeah, did you know that, that I had a, got a, a B in the- I had a vague notion that something had happened to her, but I did not know the details. Yeah. That is how little it was discussed in class. Yeah, wild. Yeah, it was like it didn't happen. But yeah, I think we should address it. Like, maybe. it should be- it should have been covered in class to the point where I can remember that we talked about it. Yes. You know, it is a challenging subject. And she writes about it in this way that, as with the rest of the book, it's very matter of fact. And it's very like, here was my understanding of what was happening at the time. Like, she didn't fully comprehend what was happening to her. Yeah. Because she was nine. Yeah. At this point. And what's interesting is not the event itself. Like, that happens pretty quickly. And it's like, her understanding is limited enough that I had to like, Pause, read it again, and make sure that what I thought had just happened to her had happened to her. What's more important to her is the fallout, like the emotional yeah. fallout from that and feeling like, oh, I did something wrong. Yes. I don't want anyone to know. Well, yeah, and the part I was not expecting is that this man is then prosecuted. There are legal consequences for this, which almost never happens. Yes, and she then, testifies. Yes, she testifies, which is wild. Who would do that? Is that what we do? Do we do that now? Mm -hmm. Like little kids? Mm -hmm. That's like, how, it's like, well, if you want to do, you got to put the kid on the stand. Like that, you don't put the kid on the stand in divorces. You put the kid on the stand in a rape. There's usually some sort of like protections where they don't have to be in the same room. They can testify remotely like that. So they don't have to like sit and look at the person sure, while they're yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah. But yeah. Wild. Yeah. And then there's some sort of technicality and then there aren't legal consequences, which does happen all the time. Yes. As we know. And then... Uh, her uncle's murder him. Yeah. It's strongly implied it is her uncle's. Yeah. Not... Yeah, and For then sure. the family is like, and we will never speak of this again. Yeah, and she feels like she did that. Yeah. Because it sounds like in large part because of the way that she was like put on the stand and like asked to recount. <laughs> yes, because this was before a lot of rape shield laws. And so it sounds like she doesn't get into yeah. too much detail, but it sounds like the defense counsel did the whole like, well, weren't you asking for it, little girl? Like, yeah, thing, like, are, which is so yeah, disgusting. Are you sure? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, it, it seems like the part that stuck with her is just, like, being asked to identify him in such a conspicuous way. Yeah, and the general impression that she had done something wrong. Yeah, and then when he died, yeah. <laughs> because... She felt it was because of her identification mm -hmm. and just stayed silent for like years after. Years and years. It seems like in the timeline of the book, it took her until she was like 14 or 15 to like really cope with it because yeah. she never really talks about it with anyone. Yeah. I don't think. She doesn't talk to her brother about it. She doesn't talk to her dad about it or her mom. That was the other thing that struck me is like she was a pretty shy kid. Yeah. She had a few friends, but not a ton. She seemed like she was yeah, kind she of a- Yeah, she kind of singles them out in a way that's like, and this this is a person that I knew in a way that's like, if you knew a lot more people, you wouldn't say it like that. Yeah, it feels like she was, I mean, I think she even says this a couple of times. It feels like she was a pretty lonely kid, but I don't think she thinks of that as like a particularly bad thing. It just seems like that's kind of how she was. Yeah. Small town- not a huge black population, weren't a lot of kids her age. She well, just like and wasn't like, she and the brother were really tight. They were for really a tight. long time. Yeah, until, until they, they like hit puberty at different points and, and then did, like did different things. 
Yeah, because that's just what happens when siblings hit puberty at different times. But yeah, he was always really They'd good. also been like, as you said, the book ends up in San Francisco. They'd been uprooted. They they were like transferred to their biological mother sort of in a stagger. Like she goes first and then mm-hmm. he goes. And it's like by the time he gets there, things are different. I don't know. It's yeah. just like there's a, there's some interruption to their yeah. closeness. And the, the back and forth in the book is when the book starts, she's living with her grandma. She's not living with either of her parents she lived with her grandma and her brother and her uncle in stamps she goes to live with her mom in st louis yeah that's st right. louis comes back after the whole comes back because of the sexual assault lives in stamps until she's like 14 and then goes and lives with her dad in la lives in a car for a yeah, month runs away gets stabbed by her dad's girlfriend and is like i can't let my mom know about this because someone else will die so my solution is going to be to live in the garbage dump with the like local runaway children yeah. with the, it's like a Peter it's like Peter Pan. Yeah, I was going to say she's just Lord of the Fliesing for yeah. a couple months. Yeah. And it while well, her thing heals. Yeah. And then she goes back and it's and nobody ever asks her about it. <laughs> yeah, and it honestly, okay, so I did know that. The things I knew about Maya Angelou going into this were that there was something bad that like some sort of sexual assault vaguely happened to her. She had a kid when she was 16 or 17. And she was homeless for a while. And it was definitely portrayed in that like very patronizing way that white people talk about the struggles of black people sometimes. And in my mind, I was like, again, 16, total shithead. I was like, well, what what did she do to wind up in that situation? Yeah. Answer from 32-year-old me. Probably crack. Fucking nothing. Yeah. Like that, she's just had a wild time I of it. I also, I, that, it sounds like it was kind of a like fun I was just going to say that. It. Like, it, like, she says it's like, like this, this is why great. we don't, this is why we say houseless. Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like at that time she did have a home. Yeah, she. It sounds like she had a great community with her little and like, like never felt unsafe. Yeah. She was just like hanging out. Once they get, it's a cool book, but once they get to San Francisco, it's like every story she tells is like what? Yes, <laughs> yes. So it's already bananas. It's like, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, like the beginning is like is like just a, a really well told, insightful. Again, like the amount of memory that she pulls from like early early childhood is impressive to me. But it's like. Oh, bad stuff happens to little kids. All stories of little kids are, <laughs> are stories of like bad things happen, especially yeah. poor kids. Right. Like, ugh, just, you know, disasters. And then at some point it's like, wait, 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 what's, this can't all be, this can't all be the same person. And the awesome part is it is. When it got to her dad being like that, like she meets all the con men and they like tell her about like all the cool cons you can do. Oh yeah. I think that's her mom's friends. Yeah. They like run the underground gambling scene. Yeah. In San Francisco. Her mom runs like an underground gambling house. Yeah. But it's like they have fingers in all the pies. Like they, like she is connected. (laughs) Yeah. And she's living in the... For the listeners of ours who are in San Francisco, it is a really interesting book to read. Like the last 40 pages are all about San Francisco at this really specific time, like right after the Second World War, where the city was changing a lot. Yeah. And so Underground Gambling House knows all the con men, like is friends with like the people at the friendly neighborhood brothels. She's yeah. just like, they're her friends. She hangs out with them. Her brother's getting up to yeah, stuff like a bunch. Everybody, everybody seedy. Anything, anything illegal <laughs> that's happening in town is like running close to her. But in this really like, 
classy way. <laughs> yeah, it the way she portrays it, it it doesn't sound like like she has any negative associations with that time no. at all because it's it like sounds cool as shit. Yeah, well, because it was just like a bunch of like her mom and a bunch of her mom's friends doing a bunch of victimless crimes. Yeah, like providing high end sex workers and underground gambling for the people in their neighborhood, and everyone was chill. Yeah, like that is I mean, what it seems like. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know, but that's the but, that's the image that, she paints. Yes, that is that is the vibe from her perspective, and it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem. It it, it seems really fun. Yeah. <laughs> One of the wildest facts, this is something that I remember when I learned it like 10 years ago, like I told this to someone, I told this to my boss at the time doing tours in San Francisco. And he was like, I do not believe that this is true. You are making this up. Maya Angelou is the first black cable car operator in San Francisco history. Why? Because she got really into cable cars and lived right next to where they turned around and she just kept going in and asking for a yeah. job until one day they gave it just to her. Just kept like bothering them because it's because she wanted to wear the change belt. Yes, that's right. It was because she wanted to wear the change <laughs> she belt. She just really liked the vibe of like having a lot of shit going on on your belt, she has which a lot of- as a queer woman, I absolutely understand. <laughs> She has a lot of respect for like people who work in trades and she's like, ah, what lovely thing it is to have a very specific purpose. Yes. Like that is how she looks and not in a patronizing way at all. She's like, that's cool. Like she'll look at a bus driver, the cable car operator be like, you have a thing that you are good at that you do every day. That sounds great. Yeah. Is Maya Angelou a a little queer? I actually don't know. I don't know either. I don't I feel embarrassed that I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, okay, so the the book ends with her there's having some, a voluntary a, sexual relationship with a man. Yeah, but there's a little like part of why she does that is she's concerned that her physical things about her might be might mean that she has to be a lesbian. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. Um, that she thought lesbian equals unattractive woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like one of the, there's like a few different like cycles that she goes through. One of them is just like, well, maybe I'm not pretty enough. And one of them I think is that her feet are big. There's like a few different, she like keeps getting like, her mom will like calm her down about it. Mm-hmm. And then she like keeps getting worried. It's just, it went around and around enough times that I was like, well, I didn't think you were a lesbian because of your big feet, but the way that the concern keeps growing back. Yeah. And that, like, I definitely don't think she's a lesbian. I would know that. But like, I feel like maybe, I don't know. It, she, maybe she's one of those she people who- She doesn't end it with a super definitive statement that she like put that to bed forever. She ends with what I thought was a very fun and matter of fact relationship with a man yeah, because yeah, she's I like- She's just like kind of self-conscious and she sees a very attractive, like one of the most attractive men in her neighborhood. And she was like, I wonder if I could fuck that guy if I tried hard enough. The answer, yes, she can. And she does. And then never talks to him again. Yeah. And that is how she gets pregnant. (laughs) She had sex with a hot guy one time and gets pregnant. Yeah, which is, I hate in stories when people get pregnant the first time they have sex, but it really happened to her, so... She just talks about like really squishing down the reality of what being pregnant, of being like, she talks about like hiding some truths, like the fact that this pregnancy was going to end in a human child. That is like, true. She she was like, I didn't really think about the fact that I was going to have to be a mom and all of what yeah, that meant. She, just, she wasn't like, oh, having a baby is going to be easy. That's fine. She did. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I do seem to remember her talking about physically being pregnant 
wasn't that big of a deal for her for most of the time. Like she was able to do it. She was like, I can still go to school. I can still do whatever I need. And like at a certain point she got too pregnant and like had to put some stuff away for a few months. But like the physical acts. Like a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. She like kept going to school until she was like seven and a half months pregnant, something like that. Yeah. Did she finish school after giving birth? Yeah, I think she, yeah, it's, it's, it's something else bananas. It's like she finished... She like did the last thing that you do and then that day left a note on her mom's bed that was like, sorry, I'm pregnant. I give birth in three weeks. Or I think she's like, I give birth in like a couple of months and they take her to the doctor and he's like, three weeks. And she's like, that's true. Actually, I was lying. It is a wild story and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I read it, again, painkillers and a lot of free time. I read it in like a week, I want to say. Yeah. Maybe less. Yeah. I took a little longer than that because of my thing that I described. I've read three of these vignettes and now I will sit with that. Even the ones that weren't like about rapes and stuff. I was like, let me just, she likes that a lot. Let me just read one of my other books. Yeah. So here's the question. Who is this for? I think this is for anyone who wants to see like a snapshot of American life who really likes books that are really well written about inherently interesting people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like inherently yeah. interesting real no, it's people. Just, by like, the way, it's like it's like who is this for? Um, anyone with taste. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yes. Like, honestly, yes. Anyone, is... anyone who wants to read something good. <laughs> I think that's true, but I also feel like there's, I, I I found it very fun and easy to read. I'm not sure that it's something I would have picked up, but I mean that's like the point of this is mm-hmm. that we're telling you whether you should actually pick it up or not, and the answer is yes. But I think. I just want to acknowledge that it is a little bit like homeworky. I think I think that's because so many people read it in school. It has that it's vibe. Just like yes, no, it's not the thing. It's not coming from the thing, but the thing also does not dispel it on like on its own. Yeah, like there's gonna be like a little bit of an energy to it that is like this is a good palette expander for high school kids, mm-hmm. and I'm reading it right now, which is not a reason not to read it. Yeah. But I feel incumbent. Yeah, (laughs) I feel like I feel like it's it's our function. I don't want to go around just like saying that everything is awesome just because it turned out better than I thought it was going to. Sure, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of not just like letting things in willy nilly. Like we're usually pretty good about being like, "Eh, you don't have to, or like, don't do this. Yeah, but this is but this is Maya Angelou. Like it would have it would have had to be terrible. Yeah. For us to say it's not worth your time. Yeah. But I think this goes beyond. It's definitely better than not terrible. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's a, I think it is a good book on its own merits. Yes. You know, I, I think you could absolutely pick this up if you're at all interested in the subject matter of the time, anything about it. And you're going to be, you're going to be pleased. Or if you just want to like imagine just one of the like coolest hodgepodges of lives yeah. Like, yeah, especially the second half. It's just like, are you really that cool? Like, if you wrote, like, if, who wrote Maniac McGee? Oh, shit. Wow, that's a blast from the past. Um, <laughs> that, okay, Maniac I know, McGee I, is a great YA book, and this is a, an unconditional recommendation of the book Maniac McGee. Mm-hmm. If that author, Spinelli? Yes. Jerry Spinelli. Yeah. If Jerry Spinelli wrote Maya Angelou's Childhood, I would be like, sir, you have gone too far. They can't all be. And that's what's so fun about it is like, yes, it can because it's really her life. Yeah. So that's so that's fun. I feel like how is it not like how has she not been like she probably has been like life rights out the 
wazoo. But oh. I just feel like I would really, it would televise so well. It would. I wonder if she even wanted to. Oh, yeah. Maybe her estate is like, no, we don't miniseries. But like prestige programs are getting so good now. Also, there are, if you read this book and you like it, there are seven more volumes of her autobiography. Yeah. None of which I, obviously, none of which I have read. And I've heard varying things about. No, I kind of want to read the next one. Because I heard on a podcast about famous sex workers a story about, well, first of all, I know that she works in a brothel for a while. Yeah. And that sounds like fun to read about. Mm -hmm. But also there's like a wild story about the baby that is born in the end of the book we read is like stolen from her. Yes. In some crate. Like I'm not, I I like want to read it because I want to remember what, but I remember hearing it and being like, what? This, this child is, is willfully misplaced from her custody and like, taken like kidnapped to another city and she like goes and finds him in the like door to door like there's there's some like crazy tale about how he goes missing and how she finds him just adding that on to all the wild tales yeah that we just read it's like that's the next thing that's gonna happen in her life i just feel like what it must be like to be her it's like i feel like nothing too wild if i were her i feel like anything insane could happen and i would be like well yeah yeah, which is kind of which is kind of how she as an adult is approaching writing this book. It's just like it was wild out there, man. <laughs> it was yeah. wild out there. And like, yeah, I just feel like I feel like if you told her anything, she'd be like, "Well, these five things already happened to me this week, so I don't see why not. Like, bring it on." This is true. So, is it in your curriculum and if so, for what class? So, yeah, I mean, it's like I don't it's probably shouldn't be me teaching it. Well, I mean, with that with that caveat aside, I'm thinking like the abstract school of life and not the actual community college class. Yeah, yeah. I think so, because as you say, it's a great palate expander. It's one of those things where it's like, hey, are you lacking in perspective? Here's a book to give you some perspective. Yeah, and it will not be exactly what you expect mm-hmm. um, and will not be dull for a moment. No, not at all. It reminds me of, this is going to be a weird comparison. It reminds me of what we said about Public Enemy, where it is very insightful without being sanctimonious. It is not sanctimonious. That is about the only thing I would say it has in common with Public Enemy. Yes, I, I think they are 99% very different. It's, but they have like that, that same power to be like, I am making a point and I am telling you what it is and you are going to be cool with that right now. Yeah, hers her points are much more about like human nature than any sort of overt political messaging yeah yeah that's absolutely true i mean she also was a kid for this whole book so maybe she comes to find more explicit politics but maybe i don't know i was gonna say that we could put this in the curriculum of violent femmes because it does fit with our long-standing interest in the inherent violence of being female I feel like if I were doing like a writing class or like a class that explored writing, it is really the opposite of my concern about it having like language for language sake. Like it is spare to to a point where I would use it as a demonstration of that as an option for like, you can be plain spoken, plain written. Yes. Not that she doesn't pepper in a $10 word here and there, but like they're carefully chosen. Economy of language. Yes, yes, very economical, sleek. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like, okay, this is going to be a bit of a a weird one, but go with me on this. I feel like what we said about Casablanca, every line pushes the story forward in some way. I feel like 
is similar to this book where every scene that she sets up, everything that she writes about, everything she tells you is meant to move your understanding forward in some way. Like it's very intentional. There's a lot of intentionality of the language. Yes. It's very episodic at the beginning. Yeah. Which makes sense because of how like the way memories of childhood work, but, and yet that's like often not how childhood is written. Mm-hmm. But if I wanted, I could see having a like a composition class where I would be like, look at this, do it this way. Or I don't know. I feel like any class that's like, hey, race is more complicated than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I that could like- be a class that you put on the board. Yes, I agree. This isn't the first thing we've covered that addresses that yeah. in some way. So do you have anything else you want to say about this book? I think it's a great book. I think people should read it. If you are coming into this episode with the question, should I read this book? My answer is yes. Yeah. Or if you're like, I mean, really, I went into it not thinking like, ooh, I can't wait till I have read this book. But my question to myself was more like, wait, sorry, what is the deal with Maya Angelou? Like, that's a famous... Like, I I feel like I know, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a great way to know. if you yeah. And it's an easy way to know. Except for the parts where it's, like, really traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she doesn't dwell on that too much. It's, 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 been, it's there. It's, it's definitely readable. present, but it, um, it, she doesn't dwell on it too much. Yeah. Before we wrap, I did want to mention that we're starting to get reviews on iTunes for our podcast, which if you are enjoying it, please do rate and review on iTunes as an incentive. I just want to share with you something that this is a review that came in from someone on Apple Podcasts. I do not know who this person is. Yeah, we're we're still at a phase of excitement where like this is like really... You could easily get shouted out because we're just like really charmed by it. Yeah, yeah. This is this is great to see. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It really does help our podcast. So yeah, what did this person say? So this person, uh, Beatrix Cadeau Five, nice Kill Bill reference. Please let us know if we if we know you. Yes, please do. So this person says this podcast is an oral book report about film and music, but written by comedy nerds with way too much time on their hands. Yes, this is true. Like a queer millennial Siskel and Ebert, which I find very flattering. Uh-huh. It's fun whether you're familiar with whatever the weekly topic is, or if you aren't, can jump in whenever too. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, Two thumbs mostly up. I just wanted the, that. I just really liked that compliment yeah we will take that compliment it is time. <laughs> yeah I, I, it's true it's 100 true accurate. <laughs> yeah i will take that compliment all the way to the bank thank you so much and if you do know us let us know and we will let you know what our next book is coming up soon so until then don't forget to rate and review if we get a hundred five star reviews yes, we are going we to watch the movie twilight twilight and, watch and if twilight. we get a thousand we're gonna listen to cats we'll and we're gonna watch to cats until then, that about does it for I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You, and good night and good luck.